0: we thank you for today. Thank you for the beauty of fall and the colors and, uh, and the Christmas in the air and, and just thank you for those those things. Thank you for the, the opportunity now to come and, and be together and worship together and learn together and fellowship and we pray for your mercies and grace as we do so that you would enable us and strengthen us, that you would grow us in grace and you would extend your kingdom, your name would be lifted up, and we pray that uh, you'd be merciful here in these ways today. We pray all this then in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well as we um, uh, begin here today, um, I'm going to return to uh, the topic that I've been doing now for, um, started almost three years ago, and of course we've had breaks here and there and, and so forth, um, but uh, let me just review that here briefly to refresh our memory, and we started with, uh, uh, you know, this topic here of how to study the Bible. Obviously, one of the most important things that we need to learn how to do, and um, we all have some ability to do this, but we all can learn more. Of course, I do it uh, a lot. I've been trained to do it, and I'm still learning more. Um, and that's true for all of us. And uh, and ultimately, of course, this is God's Word. It's not just some historical book. And so this is something that, that we all need to have some facility with, uh, or frankly, we'll misunderstand uh, what god's word says at least in some ways, so uh, we started with some some basic ideas. Those are the different books that are in the scriptures. Um, and then we talked about various terms, such as the sufficiency of scripture, the necessity of scripture, the perspicuity of scripture, some of those kind of things. Um, and then we uh, started looking at some of the, if you will, skills that we need uh, to, to use. And uh, we started. Obviously, a word can mean different things. Now, in English, not nearly as much as Greek and Hebrew. But still, we have certain words that, depending on the context, are going to mean different things. So, uh, the example I've used before is, you know, Mr. Ball had a ball at the ball. Well, the word ball means something different for each of those three times and the context is going to help us to understand. That sentence gives us an understanding. If I just said ball, you might not know what that means. Okay, Maybe I'm thinking football from yesterday. Maybe I'm thinking baseball from yesterday. The Padres came back in the middle of the night to, to defeat the Dodgers, you know, and these kind of things. So the context will help you to understand, and this is true not just for words, but then for sentences, and for paragraphs, and for whole sections, and so forth. And, um, which led us then to um, the what we often call the historical grammatical method of interpreting Scripture. This is not how the Catholics do it. It is certainly not how most uh, churches do it today, unfortunately. But historically, this has been common in the Protestant Church, especially in Reformed circles. But even today, you know, Anna's been trying to find a church, and there aren't that many PCA churches that do the historical grammatical approach to understanding the Scriptures anymore. Um, it's it's really quite sad. Um, but this is one of the most important things. You've got to understand the history of the scriptures in order to understand it. You have to know the language and grammar and syntax if you're going to understand what God says. Uh, you can't just read it and say, well this is what it means to me. That's you You will never come up to the right understanding if that's, if that's our approach. Um, maybe by God's grace you come to some understanding but not, certainly not everything that he wants us to know. So um, just to back up here a moment, uh, we we uh, started this and took um, a few months looking at this, but we were interrupted by COVID. Uh, that's the context here when, when I was talking about this. And after we came back, we focused especially on the historical grammatical uh, methodology. And then we started uh, looking at some of the different genres. And each one has uh, certain, um, if you will, unique things that we have to keep in mind if we're going to understand uh, how to interpret them. And uh, the ones that I have done with you uh, definitely the most and obviously right in the middle of poetry right now. But, uh, but most of what I've done is the narrative genre and the epistles. And uh, some just basic ideas here. Hey, narrative, it's a story. But how do you understand the main point from the story? And one of the key clues here is just look at the repetition. Look at the names of God that are used. Look what words are repeated. And, uh, and that gives you a clue as to understanding it. Look at what is omitted. We've been doing that in 1 Samuel in the evening. Hey, God's not mentioned in some of these later passages because David's living by fear rather than by faith. And so look for those kind of patterns, and it'll help you to understand. And uh, one of the biggest problems with narrative is people don't know how to do that. Okay, well, there's the story. It's easy to know the story. And sometimes that's all they do. Well, here's the story of whatever, David and Goliath, or here uh, David with, uh, living in, in Ziklag and Akish and so forth. But what's the point? And so like with David and Goliath, you often hear, you know, well, it's the underdog winning and so forth. You know, like, well, that's, that's not the point. The point is, here's a man who was cursing God, and David got upset by that. He was upset at him. He was upset at Israel for just standing around and living in fear, and so by faith he went forward and and he killed this man um, who was blaspheming God. So you know, but what we so often hear is you know the underdog and the little guy and so forth, and and that's really not the point. Um, and then you know sometimes you'll hear that the stones mean certain things or you know whatever, um, but but narrative. Basically, look at what's there, especially the names of God, especially words that are repeated, and um, even things that are omitted that you would expect to see. Now, Epistle is very similar. Uh, This is a letter, of course, um, primarily the letters of Paul, but certainly there are others in the New Testament, and in one sense, all the books of the New Testament are a letter uh, in one sense. And so this is similar to narrative in the sense that you're talking about um, a, a story, um, a story of, uh, say, Paul and his relationship with the Corinthians or the Romans or the Galatians or something like that. Uh, but as we're talking about a letter to someone, the basic, most significant thing for interpretation is you got to read the whole thing. And if you get a letter or an email or a text even from somebody, you don't just read, you know, three words in the middle of it and say hey this is my theme verse for my life you know you don't do that unfortunately we do that too often with the scriptures and so we need to read the whole thing from chapter 1 verse 1 to the end and this then uh, is one of the key things that we use uh, to help us to understand so um, uh, anyway um, we did some of that had a break uh, over the summer while I was gone a couple months and so forth came back and and picked up again with uh, with the, the genres and such here um, and then I, I um, segued into um, you might say a beginning of the poetic genre where we talked about specifically figures of speech hey, figures of speech so we talked about Similes and metaphors and anthropomorphism and synecdoche and things like that. And uh, um, again, these are just things that we need to understand how they work if we're going to understand what God is saying to us, especially as we come into the poetic genre, though these things are found elsewhere too. Um, So Emma was asking me questions about Judges 9 last night and you remember that is uh, when Jotham came and he gave his fable and about the trees and and the vines and the brambles and so forth and and so forth. So we're just talking about some of that. Of course that's not poetic literature. That's narrative literature. But nevertheless you had some of these figures of speech uh, that are used there. Alright, so then we took uh, about five months uh, in between, Um, other people were teaching and so on, and so then um, we returned, when I returned, we talked specifically about uh, how to understand the Psalms, how to study the Psalms. So we started with some of the terminology, and in particular, I focused on the terms that the Bible uses. And what so often happens with those terms is you see them used in uh, the, the titles, and they're not translated for us. They're just the Hebrew word. <laughs> so you know, what does that mean? And so we talked about some of those. Uh, we talked then about the musical aspect of the Psalms. We talked about some of the instruments that are used. Uh, We talked about how Paul connects to that, and Nathaniel actually is, uh, and I were talking about this recently because of some of the things going on at chapel at Wheaton, and I just reminded him again that uh, when Paul says to make music in your heart with uh, hymns and psalms and spiritual songs, he does not mean Okay, hymns from the hymnal, psalms from the Psalter, and praise songs. That's not what he means. But unfortunately, that's what many people uh, take it as. Um, so anyway, we talked a little bit about that uh, in relation to the psalms and, uh, and Paul's understanding. Um, then we also then talked about how hymns are the best application of uh, Paul's teaching and uh though there's a place certainly for singing psalms we're doing that and there is a place even for singing some praise songs that meet paul's qualifications uh unfortunately you know it's certainly in the single digits of praise songs that are worth singing uh, percentage wise Uh, but there are some uh, but hymns are the are the best uh, in that way um so uh, I think I may have mentioned this. We talked about some of the instruments. Uh, then we um, segued into talking about the the titles of the Psalms, the the superscriptions, as some people call it, and um, and that, of course, we just saw last week in Psalm one ten that that is very significant and uh, in our understanding. So um, we talked about uh, what is. Sometimes we see four different things here. Here for Psalm 110, it's just the author, and then that it's a psalm. But sometimes you have historical context and other things. Um, we talk then about some of the different authors. Obviously, it's not just David that wrote the Psalter. You have others. Uh, we talk then about when the Psalter would have been <coughs> um, compiled and put together. And that, of course, was after the exile. But there were stages. Right? Remember, there were probably... Um, two, three, maybe four stages where they put things together and there were different ways to to categorize and and put together the psalms. Um, Then we also talked about genres within the Psalter. So you have hymns, you have Thanksgiving psalms, you have imprecatory psalms and and things like that. So we talked about uh, some of those different things. Um, And then we um, kind of Transition from the musical component and some of these broader ideas to to the poetic component of the psalms, and uh, um, this is what can be so challenging for some people. Some people they read poetry, no big deal. They understand it, they they study it in English or or here in in this case uh, in the scriptures, and uh, and and they're able to follow it. But for others, it can be very challenging. And uh, when you compare stories like we're doing in the evening right now with First Samuel and the Psalms here in the morning, okay, some people are finding the Psalms harder. A- and you would expect that, really. And yet it's still a genre that we have to understand if we're going to understand God's word. We can't just like the stories, <laughs> though they may be easier for us to understand. We have to understand this as well. And so we talked about some of the elements of poetry, which included figures of speech again. Um, but I, I brought out a, a few different things here in this regard, um, and so on. Um, and, and then we looked at some other poetic devices, not just figures of speech, and, and so on. All right, so we did that for about two and a half months, talking about all those different things. And then uh, after a break... turned and we talked about uh, the structure of the psalms and here's where uh, I used especially Palmer Robertson's book to guide us and to guide me and we looked remember some of the handles we're trying to grab onto and 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 how you subdivide it and some of the acrostics and so forth and how he would uh, um, call to our attention how the psalms are structured they're not just randomly put together and it's not just broadly put together with the five books either. It's very specific on how uh, it's done. And the question is, can we see that and, and understand that? And so as I've been doing basically for every psalm here now as we've been going through it, I've been summarizing the, the themes for each of the books. Now, especially here as we've come to book five, we're reviewing all of them as we went Uh, first in book one that was our emphasis and then I added book two and so forth Um, and so we started again as I've said many times now (laughs) with David being established in Zion but he's facing opposition there are more themes but uh, this is the broad overall theme we talked also of course how Psalms 1 and 2 are the foundation of, of the Psalter we talked about how the law and the gospel are put together there and then that's repeated in Psalms 18 and 19 and then, excuse me, Psalms 118 and 119 the law and gospel put together Um, so um, then we turn to book 2 and you remember that the name Elohim becomes most frequently used Yahweh is used more than any other name in the Old Testament by far it's about 7,000, whereas Elohim's used probably around 24, 2,500 times because sometimes the word refers to gods, false gods. Um, and, uh, and yet in book two, into book three, the focus is on Elohim, that name, over Yahweh. And so that helps us to see that the message isn't just David is struggling against his opponents, but now there's this outward message toward the nations, And so the name Elohim is is more fitting in that context. Uh, Also, you remember we talked about some of the seam psalms. And those are the psalms that begin and end each book. And the better you understand those, the better you understand the theme of each book. Uh, I did that here recently with Psalm, when I I preached on Psalm 107, I made many references to Psalm 106 and how all that uh, fits together. Um... Remember some of the pyramids that, uh, Robertson would, um, would show to us. And we're going to see one here, uh, starting in Psalm 111, Psalms 111 to 117 is a pyramid of hallelujah Psalms and Psalm 114 is right in the middle. Um, so, but that's not the only one <laughs> you see them uh, rather frequently, uh, throughout. And so again, that handout from Robertson, he shows you those things, um, Alright, well then into book 3, of course, this is when Israel goes into exile and all the devastation and, and, and what's going on with the promises. I made reference to this last week in Psalm 89 in regard to the Davidic promises. Uh, but then in book 4, God is, you might say, coming to them in exile and reminding them what's most important. And starting especially with how sinful we are. We cannot rightly understand anything about God and salvation unless we understand sin. And uh, so that's where it begins in Psalm 90 um, and uh, Psalm 91. And then um, it ends, Book 4, with praise and, and, and so forth. So that then segues us into Book 5, where we have the, uh, what we're looking at now, this return from exile and lots of praise and thanksgiving, and and so forth and here with Psalm 110 we're looking at right the restoration of the Davidic promises but in a kind of different way you might say because there's no king on the throne <clears throat> so anyway we we talked about those things in uh more detail looking at uh each of the books and and uh using Palmer Robertson uh especially and so that uh, did that for roughly um three months and uh and then that brought us up to the end of January, actually, and there have been a number of other things that have gone on in the meantime, and so we return here now to this topic. Again, such an important topic for us, and, um, um, you know, if, if you're going to ever have any hobby, <laughs> it's got to be the hobby of learning how to study scripture. It's got to be one of them, um, or We're only hurting ourselves, and maybe eternally so. Okay, well, with that brief review, um, any comments or questions here in this regard? how can we build the church if we don't know the foundation? The foundation is God's word. and If we don't take time and effort to learn how to study it well, we're going to build wrongly. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's that fundamental. So, All right. Well, let's uh, then begin by adding another genre. particular order necessarily, um, but we come here next then to the, uh, the parables, and uh, like with each of the genres, we need to um, emphasize um, certain key things about the genre of the parables uh, to make sure that we are rightly understanding and not misunderstanding. You know, I know I've used this example before, but you don't read the comics page the same way you read the editorial page. You don't read that page the same way you read the sports section. Hey, we read different genres differently. Now, we still have same rules of grammar and syntax and so forth, but you, know, you don't read that um, you know, whoever, Mookie Betts, stole second base. You don't read that by saying he actually picked it up and walked out. Okay, and and put it in his car or something like that, and took off. That that's not the point because we understand that it means he ran from first to second without being thrown out, and he wasn't thrown out of the stadium either. Right? We we have a different understanding of what throw out means. Now, if you're reading, you know, say the front page, and you're talking about, um, you know, whatever, somebody who's protesting one of the pro-life uh, pregnancy centers. Um, and they threw somebody out, well, then you'd think, well, yeah, that somebody must have broken in, and they threw them out, literally, maybe called the cops, you know, so th- that's the point. We, we interpret things differently based on the genre with, that we are reading, and sometimes it's hard to know what genre it is, especially if you're listening to the mainstream media. They're trying to tell you they're giving you facts when it's actually opinion and bias, so you have to understand and interpret um, accordingly. So here in regard to the parables, the basic idea is this. It is a short story to make one key point. A short story to make one key point. Now sometimes the parable is just a sentence. Sometimes it's, you know, 15 verses or something like that here in the scriptures. But it's a short story to make one main point. Some have called this a long proverb. And conversely, some call Proverbs a short parable. <laughs> okay, so we'll look at Proverbs next. Um, but here for, for parables, um, sometimes the story is based on a real life scenario. And uh, you know, you think of Jesus telling the parables and, and surely some of them were based on things that uh, he saw and observed. You think of the parable of the sower as we call it. Surely he had watched people sow fields and and uh, use that as his as story. Uh, maybe uh, he observed somebody well, going from Jerusalem to Jericho and, and uh, got beat up, uh, but maybe he made up the whole thing too. But he probably heard stories of it and, and so forth. So, you know, sometimes it's a real situation. Maybe it's based on one. Maybe he makes it up. Um, but again, it's a short story to make one key point. And that key point is usually mentioned in the context. And so they, whether it's Matthew, Mark, or Luke, or John, or whatever, they they usually give us a clue as to the point of the parable. And so you have to look for that. The key idea here with parables is that it is a temptation for us to read into all the details of the story. And that this means that, and that means something else, and so on and so forth now I mentioned the parable of the sower that's strictly not a parable it's an allegory and there's a difference an allegory you do have every point meaning something or most points but a parable again has one key point point. and so whenever we read the parables don't get fascinated with all the details, oh this means whatever and this one means something else no, look for the key idea and so we'll look at some of them here. Um, Probably won't get to any today, but we'll start doing that next time. Um, So, um, any comments or questions here as as I begin this? Yes, (laughs) Eric. Good question. Uh, A fable, as I understand it, I have to go back and double check the, the definition here, but if I remember correctly, it has, fables tend to do with uh, uh either animals or like trees you think I mentioned judges nine whereas um, parables can mean can can use all kinds of things in that way. so there are some s- similarities there, but it um, I don't know if you could say one's a subcategory or something like that. Um, Na do something to add longer, always, shorter, so. right. Yeah. Right.
1: Not human. Right.
0: Yeah. Well, think again of Judges nine with Jotham. You know, there you have brambles and trees and and so forth. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and and, and so to to add to that a little bit, Eric, um, a fable tends to have. Maybe I'll put it this way: tends to be more like an allegory in the sense that the details often have a point, not just one point. Um, So you think of Judges nine, and there are many connections back to Joshua twenty-four, and Shechem is a Levitical city, and you know there's a lot of things going into that. Um, Whereas again, a parable tends to be one main point. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, do that could do Yeah. In the real world. sure. Yeah, that, that's that's a helpful uh, distinction, too. And, and she's right. If you didn't hear that, uh, fables tend to be animals talking <laughs> or trees talking or something like that, uh, whereas in parables, it's it's more every day, if you will. Um, so, yeah, that's that's a helpful distinction as well. All right, any other... Principles. Yeah.
1: principles, yeah, yeah, uh, right. They're, they're just a slight difference in the approach.
0: Yeah, yeah, and 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 was it you mentioned uh, Aesop's fables that you see that so clearly there? That he's making one key idea, moral idea, virtuous idea, them um, yeah. So again, uh, going back to Judges nine. You know, the connections there are so specific to Shechem in particular, because remember they tried to set up Abimelech as king, and and so God comes to them and says, well, you know, "What are you doing here through Jotham?" And um, uh, so it's a parable when you might say is more broadly to Israel, <laughs> and the fable there was more specifically to she- the Shechemites. Um, but again, we're we're making slight distinctions and it doesn't always apply. Um, but um, anyway, a few thoughts to your to your question. A good good question, good distinction to make. Any other questions? Usually when we teach them and we can kind of lump them together even yeah. they're right? yeah. well, Make another point with Judges nine. I remember when I was studying through it that some people called them parables. That chapter a parable, and other commentators were like, "No, it's not a parable. It's a fable." And in some ways, they both were making true points. But I think in the end, it is a fable because of you know the the specifics that you see in it. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, um, it it did make a difference in how to interpret it um, in certain ways. Um, Okay, well, um, we're not going to be able to finish this next point. Um, Do you have any other questions here before our time runs out? or whoever else is yeah whoever else is saying it yes but yeah we'll we'll see that more specifically when we look at the parable of the sower um because again it's strictly speaking not a parable it's an allegory but but jesus if you will permits us to find more than one point because he interprets it for us um me, uh, I guess, introduce here the next thought, and uh, we certainly won't get through it, but let me do it this way, make sure I got the right verses there, yeah, Um, in Matthew 13, Um, You might remember that this is the chapter on the parables of the kingdom. And so there are, whatever, um, six or seven different parables here in this chapter. And it begins with the parable of the sower, as we call it. And then in this section, Jesus explains why he uses parables. And then after it, he gives us an explanation of the parable of the sower. And then you have some others after that. And uh, his key point simply is, parables are designed to help the believer to understand. And you would expect that. It's giving a story here to help us to understand some spiritual truth. But parables are also designed to confuse people. The unbeliever is going to be confused by the parables Jesus doesn't speak plainly. Okay? He doesn't say, the word is going out, how is your heart? How are you receiving the word of God? He instead says, ah, so I went out to the field, spread some seed, and it landed on different places, and it produced various kinds of fruit. Right? It, it wasn't a plain, straightforward teaching, it was a story. And you often hear people say, well, see, he used the parables, so, you know, we need to use stories. Okay, that's true. (laughs) But we need to also recognize that he used the stories to confuse some people, too, to harden their heart. And so um, I I, I want us to read this passage here before we look at some of the parables. And um, uh, we'll, we'll end up doing that next time. But, you know, this is true just... When the word of God is proclaimed, okay, just in general, as I've said at different times, the scripture is a double-edged sword, and the one side cuts, as it were, in a gracious way, cuts away our sin and our filth and us and grace, the other side cuts in a judgmental way, and uh, so the same sermon or the same Sunday school lesson or whatever can harden one person and bring great blessing to, the, to somebody else. And that's the power of God's word. And I can see it. I'm preaching, and some people, you can tell, it's hardening them. And other people are really responding in a great way. So, you know, if I get a comment, oh, that was a good sermon, or that sermon didn't speak to me, I'm like, <clears throat> okay, I'm going to try to learn from that. This is something I could have done better. But uh, many times it's based on that person because of the soils, the various soils that people have in their hearts. Um, And so uh, this is a dangerous business, proclaiming God's word, because it does harden some. And yet that's effective because it's God's word. And it will always go out and not come back void. It just might come back with a, a, a hardening of some people. Um, so anyway, I'm kind of giving away the whole point. <laughs> but, uh, but that's what we're going to see here in Matthew 13. And uh, we'll start with that next time. And then um, I've got a, a half a dozen different parables I thought we'd look at and, and uh, focus on uh, the main point and, and, and just trying to implement these ideas for, for this genre. So, all right. Well, let's pray as we we conclude. Our Father, our God, we thank you for uh, your word to us. We thank you that you have given it to us, not just in a a list of rules, not just in a mass of stories, not just in uh, these abstract principles, but you've given uh, it to us in all kinds of different ways, these different genres and so on. And we thank you for that, because each one helps us to understand you and, and uh, sin and salvation and how we should live and so forth uh, in different ways, and uh, rounds out our understanding and, and so forth. And so we pray again that you would help us as we seek to understand your word, uh, and especially here with the parables, and uh, that you would be uh, honored and, and uh, grow us in grace in this way and not bring hardening. So we pray all these things and um, uh, then ask that you would be pleased to fulfill your promises among us now as we gather for worship, and that you would grow us in grace and uh, extend your kingdom here in this way, and again, that your word would go forth graciously and not in judgment. Uh, So we pray all these things then in Jesus' name, amen.